The following is an exclusive podcast for the Dermatology Digest. Today, Eliza Cabana sits down with Dr. Raja Sivamani, board-certified dermatologist, Pacific Skin Institute, San Francisco, and senior medical editor for LearnSkin, to discuss probiotics in dermatology. Here's Eliza and Dr. Sivamani. How much does the average dermatologist know about probiotics and where it fits in the dermatology specialty? Well, I can tell you it's not part of the general education that's happening in medical schools right now. So you kind of have to pick it up on your own. And a lot of that just comes from, I think, uh, unless you've done any sort of integrative education that's uh, separate or really delved into the research, uh, it's not part of the general training curriculum. So I don't think the general dermatologist actually knows too much, but I think it's a very interesting area. I think a lot of people are very excited about it. So I think when evidence starts to emerge, I think people really try to pay attention because, you know, everybody wants to know what probiotic do I pick? And, you know, the number one question that we get is, can I just get the one that's at the local supermarket? And the answer to that is, well, it really depends. Uh, you kind of have to go with, you know, these, uh, wh- whichever brands are willing to do research because there's no FDA oversight per se, like drugs. Uh, there are some, you know, on quality control, but you really have to hone in on where's the research, what are the research studies being done and which companies are willing to, you know, put their products under a research microscope. And then, you know, when the evidence comes out, I think then you can at least be rest assured that there's uh, some backing, to scientific backing. So um, in terms of dermatology, where would probiotics be appropriate? And, you know, maybe there's a definition in there somewhere also about what probiotics actually are. You know, I think the definition is going to be shifting. But right now, the current definition, which is partially incorrect, actually, it already is on face not correct, is that it's giving live organisms um, that is delivered to the body for some health therapeutic benefit. Here's the truth behind probiotics, though. Um, there's two kinds of probiotics. There's, uh, there's a kind of probiotic that are known as spore-based probiotics, and then there's non-spore. Spores really aren't alive. They're kind of in a suspended animation state, but they can, you know, the big, the big concern is like, are these probiotics alive when they get in? Because, you know, you have the stomach acids and you have bile, which is very harsh, both of those environments. And so if you put in a live probiotic that you're giving for a health benefit, it actually is probably dead by the time it gets to the intestines. But they can still have an effect, even if they're dead, because, you know, the probiotics can touch other bacteria down there and they can still stimulate different sort of biological reactions. And then these spores, which are technically not alive, they are hardy. They get past everything. And then when they get to the gut, that's when they germinate. And so our current definition is for probiotics, the technical definition from the WHO is a live um, microorganism that can provide some health or therapeutic benefit. But I think we know that in the literature, it's actually a little bit shifted from that, that you can also give things that are spores and, you know, they don't have to be alive through and through. Now, you had asked a question, where in dermatology would it be useful? Well, there's a couple of places. There's um, some bit of emerging evidence now. I mean, there's actually four studies now that have been done in the acne space. So I think acne is now going to be starting to see a a bit more of probiotics being used, which is awesome because right now we use a lot of antibiotics and taking people off antibiotics is not as simple, especially, uh, especially if your next option is, you know, isotretinoin, which was previously known as Accutane. A little, a lot of people are wondering, is there other options? And so probiotics uh, can either be given with antibiotics, but now I think we're starting to see that perhaps we can do it in lieu of as a replacement and uh, they still have anti-inflammatory effect, which is great. 
because then you're uh, impacting the gut and you're doing other things to the body that are probably positive beyond just trying to treat the skin. So then if you are offering up probiotics as a potential solution to a patient, what products are we talking about and where do, where do we find them? Yeah, there's two products right now that have evidence that are currently uh, available. Neither are covered by insurance. So I think it's very important to point that out, that insurances do not cover these because they're considered dietary supplements. And so we're very careful about you know claiming them to be treatments like drugs. They're, they're supplements um, that you add on. But the two, the two uh, supplements brands that are there, the first one is called Serene Skin, and it's uh, capital S. Serene, and then uh, skin is ca- the S is capitalized again. There's no space between them; just one word. Serene skin, and it is from the company Microbiome Labs. That's the first one, and that was the biggest placebo-controlled study. We actually ran the study, and uh, it's in the in the process of being reviewed right now um, for publication. And the other one that was studied in 2013 and is cu- currently available commercially uh, is that brand is known as Healthy Trinity. And it's from a company called Natren, N-A-T-R-E-N. And that one is a non-spore-based bacteria. And then the serene skin is more spore-based. And so, you know, you got two different flavors. But, you know, we get a lot of questions. Can we just substitute? And I think it's tough because, you know, these studies were done with those particular brands. So you kind of got to stick to the brands if you really want to be able to claim any evidence to them. The spore-based one, though, the serene skin, was a much bigger study, and it was placebo-controlled. The other one was not placebo-controlled. It was controlled against antibiotics, and it worked just as well as an antibiotic when they, uh, when they actually did that study. So you were involved in some of the studies, you said. So you have um, probably been firsthand experience in seeing the kinds of results that uh, using probiotics can have on things like acne? Yes, we have. And actually, there's some unintended consequences when you do it. So we we do a lot of integrative medicine. And so I make it a point to talk about nutrition uh, with every single patient that comes for acne. And one of the things is if someone is committing to a probiotic, they're kind of committing to a new way of thinking about nutritional supplementation. And in many cases, they're also willing to change their nutrition as part of it. So I feel like when you talk about probiotics, it's not just a supplement, you're actually going beyond medication and drug related care, which we still do. You don't, you, you, this is not an instead of, this is in addition to, you always focus on what the standard of care is, and then you add this in. Um, but people start paying much more close attention to their nutrition. Like a lot of people will start cutting out um, dairy, which we know now is all forms of it is uh, detrimental to acne. And they watch their sugar intake much more closely. So people become really invested. And I think it's awesome because you have, you know, you have essentially adolescents and teenagers, which are very hard to get on board for something. And they're using acne as a motivation to really clean up their diet, which I think is like a major win. And then you also have, you know, young adults in their 20s and 30s that are totally refocusing on their diet. And of course, that has cascade effects. And then they start thinking about their holistic wellness and how they're exercising. And some of them start doing yoga and, you know, you just, they, they move in a direction that's like very positive for health. And I, I feel like, uh, so when you start having these conversations, you, you can really impact people much deeper than just their skin. I think that's really interesting. Um, so I, I do want to go back to, I think an important point that you made, and that is that we're using probiotics in addition to your that's right. therapy. So this is not something that's just a standalone as a potential solution. 
No, it's not a standalone. Anytime you're treating acne as an example, you want to be sure you have topical therapies that are directly on the skin and if necessary, systemic therapies. However, I don't like to do the in addition to antibiotics. I just don't do antibiotics if at all possible. And I'll give you two scenarios. If it's a woman, um, then I would go over anti-hormonal therapies. Like we use a a medication called spironolactone. Uh, I don't know how detailed you get in your reports and whatnot, but we use hormonal therapies like like oral contraceptive pills or spironolactone. And we do that in addition to, uh, at least we offer it in addition to the probiotics. And in men, we, we just don't do the antibiotics. We go to the probiotics, but they still are doing um, all the standard of care topicals that they need to be doing. And if they need to use body washes that are appropriate for if they have body acne, I think that's also important. I should point out in the two studies, only the serene skin was studied against body acne as well and shown to help the body acne. The other one wasn't studied. So we don't know. It could be helpful. We just don't know if because if it, it wasn't measured. So that's another nuance in there. Okay, great. Um, so are there any uh, studies that are being planned right now um, in this space that you're aware of? Uh, in acne? Oh, just in probiotics. for. Oh, in probiotics. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think there's um, uh, many more. So there's a few other conditions where we're looking at gut health as really important. In fact, most skin conditions that are chronic seem to have a gut connection. So another one is rosacea is where we're looking at the role of gut health and can probiotics uh, impact the gut. Um, There are some studies that are being planned for that. And then um, basic things like, um, let's see, psoriasis. You know, there are some studies looking at probiotics. Can that be helpful or not for psoriasis? Um, And then when you look at gut health in general, uh, we see that there are some links now being made to conditions like vitiligo, um, and then there's been a lot of probiotic studies looking at eczema or atopic dermatitis. And so there, there have been some probiotics that have emerged there, some specific strains that have been shown to be helpful for uh, atopic dermatitis as well. Okay. So um, are there any products that right now you would recommend using um, for those different you know, conditions? Yeah, that's a great, great point. You know, we don't have robust studies yet in these other areas, except, except in atopic derm. We do, and I can tell you the specific strains that have been studied more than brands in that particular case. There hasn't been a brand that has emerged, but there are three strains that seem to have good evidence. And uh, if you want, I can let you know what those are. So um, the first one is lactobacillus rhamnosus, and the strain is called capital G, capital G. So it's lactobacillus rhamnosus GG. Um, The second strain is bifidobacteria breve, that's B-R-E-V-E. And uh, so that's the second one. And the third one is lactobacillus salivarius. And it doesn't mean that you need to have all three of those, but the studies have shown that if you can have at least a mix of two of those, um, it seems to be more effective. But the lactobacillus rhamnosus GG seems to have the most uh, studied. In fact, there was a study in pregnant women that supplemented with lactobacillus rhamnosus GG. And they showed that those women, uh, because they were deemed as having a high risk for having a child with eczema because they already had another child with eczema or they already had eczema themselves or the father had eczema. And they showed that supplementing through pregnancy with this. And then as they tracked uh, the child to three years of age, there was a 50% reduction in uh, their development of eczema compared to the group that got placebo, which is very interesting because now you're talking about modulating 
you know, skin disease uh, in utero. Like we still don't understand why that happened. We, there's a lot that we still need to uncover as to how these effects are happening, but uh, it's definitely a space that's growing. This has been an exclusive podcast with the Dermatology Digest. Find more at www.thedermdigest.com. Thank you for joining us.